Good morning. It's good to be here again in the house of God. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your love to us. Thank you that you are a great God and that you have given us all that we need to walk with you. And I pray that uh, this time here this morning could strengthen that commitment to you and that we would claim you as as the uh, Savior of uh, our souls, Savior of mankind, and the healer of all the uh, ills that sin has wrought in this world. Just bless our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I struggled a bit with with uh, getting a title together. You're supposed to have a title when you speak, I think, <clears throat> according to you know, speaking rules. Um, so I decided to call it Marketing and Temptation. Uh, that's the best I can come up with. So we'll go through it, and uh, maybe that will kind of encapsule the uh, idea of the message. <clears throat> Marketing. So there are people, businesses, spending around $900 a year to sell things to you individually. That's the marketing budget of the United States. Uh, so whatever you buy in the stores, on average, about $900 a year per person in the whole country is spent on making you convinced that you need so-and-so. That was astonishing to me. It must work, too, because smart business owners don't just pour money down a hole. Marketing is a, is, is a very powerful force um, that works very well uh, because you know, people do it. <laughs> uh, it works well. But like the spiritual, our spiritual lives, our temporal lives, um, we have this warning, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. And that's a good spiritual advice and also a temporal advice to check things out uh, before we fall for some type of concept. Uh, and there are a lot of folks trying to sell you a lot of things. <clears throat> One marketing success that I find really amazing, I, I think marketing is a really fascinating field, so just, uh, is the mushroom, mushrooming market for bottled water. There are lots and lots of brands of bottled water available uh, promoting various uh, you know, benefits. There's smart water. There's essentia. There's life water. And people commonly spend $2 a quart for water. Yeah, at my house, we buy our water, too, from Myerstown, the Myerstown uh, water supply. And we pay about a half cent a gallon for our water. So, $2 a quart versus a half cent a gallon is a fairly good markup, I would say. If I was in business selling water, and I bought it for a half cent a gallon, 
It's like um, 6.89 cents a gallon we pay for our water. And I could sell it to you for $2 a gallon, $2 a quart. I think I would feel guilty doing that. I'd say, uh, you know what, if you got, go to the spigot, you can open the spigot and get water out there. It's like almost free. <clears throat> uh, we buy bottled water sometimes for convenience. It's a nice little container to haul water in. Um, but to buy water for health benefits is just out of, I, I don't understand this. It's a, an education thing. People have been educated to value bottled water. And in America, we have very clean water. I wonder why you hear of some place in Michigan that has poisonous water in the city, or where it was, um, some a lead problem that happened up north somewhere. But <clears throat> I happened to work at a water testing laboratory. Um, I helped my fascination with water. And public water systems, like Lebanon Valley School, or the whole, the whole town's water, are under extremely strict regulations. Uh, it is almost impossible to have bad water around here uh, if, uh, on a public public source. I think if you're in private well, you know, your manure pit might be too close. You can have nasty water at your house. Uh, but a public water system is extremely well cared for um, in this area, at least. So buy, buying bottled water for health benefits is, is probably not, not not a real reason. Uh, perhaps you don't care for the chlorine taste. Uh, we have a dechlorinator at our house. Um, we don't really care for the chlorine taste. But the quality of the water is is tremendous compared to many places in the world where they actually do have bad water and they really should have bottled water. But in our area, um, that's not, not normally the case. Uh, then we have fads that go through health fads. Uh, there's a, so I got a catalog a couple years ago. It's marketed, I don't remember the name of it. I didn't bring it along. It's uh, marketed towards the plain community. <clears throat> and there are a lot of um, baloney ads in there. Uh, not the meat kind. I mean the philosophical baloney kind. Um, and one that that stuck out to me again was an ad for a water treatment device. So this ad talked about uh, I should have brought it along. So it talked about about healthy frequencies in the water. Um, it talked about it restructured the molecules of water. Uh, and there was a whole list of testimonials. I mean maybe twenty, like a lot. It helped chickens and eggs lay uh, chickens and ducks lay better eggs. Um, it helped people people reported that their joints felt better afterwards. The cows gave better milk afterwards after they installed this little device. And what the device is is uh, restructured water. You can Google it. Um, is trying to mimic the action of a mountain stream. You watch this picture of a, you know, a mountain stream, wonderful clear water uh, tumbling down a mountainside. And maybe you've heard the term. Uh, if water runs over seven rocks, it's clean. You know? um, just forget about the possum that's doing its business up the stream. Uh, outdoors. Um, the, the idea of, of uh, mountain stream water, you know, that's, that's the pictures on the water bottles we buy sometimes. So inside the, inside the tube, 
is some type of device that makes the water swirl. And in this, in this uh, positive frequency field idea, uh, vortexes, vortices are really important. So if you make the water swirl in a particular uh, funnel-y way inside there, uh, you get better results. Uh, and I looked up information about this gentleman. He's actually a Glenn Lehman from Florida. Had his name on the bottom of the ad. <clears throat> uh, and he talks about how he got this. He's, his water tested at some special energy machine, which is probably fake as well. And it was um, better than other water was. Um, so you have to use a certain type of machines to test for this certain type of device to make it actually look like it's good. Anyway, I was intrigued recently, uh, a few weeks ago, um, at the lab bench, water samples were coming through, and on each page it says what the treatment of the water is. Like, is it chlorinated? Is it has a UV light? And I said, oh, whoa, this sample was treated by the water solution. So I expect that's the same type of device. I don't know for sure. Um, and they were going for a, sending in for a bacteria test. And so I was intrigued. Well, what would ha- what would happen here? Um, the ad that I was reading said it will remove, t- it will not remove, it will uh, disable toxins in the water, uh, all that. And guess what? We put the water into the incubator system, waited overnight, looked at it the next day, and the bacteria level was like off the charts. Too numerous to count. So hopefully they weren't trusting their machine, their device to uh, make themselves have good water. So a couple of points that marketing does. Um, one is says this is available. You have to be aware of something before you can buy it. Consumer education. You have options. Now, this is something you can you can get. Another step down down the marketing trail is the idea that you need this. You are lacking some in somehow, some way you're lacking. You're lacking in energy. You're lacking in spring in your step. You're you're lacking something. It could just be you're old fashioned. This isn't the uh, this season's clothing style. Um, so you're lacking in that way. And then you have to try to persuade you that you want this. <clears throat> there are a lot of things I don't have that I don't want. <clears throat> but if they can persuade you that you want this, that's another step down the marketing trail. Uh, something that helps along is others have this. Um, this is a really big thing that the marketing field pushes. Sports figures. Uh, you probably know Michael Jordan. I never met him personally, but I've heard of him. Uh, Michael Jordan, I think he played basketball. Is that right? Okay. Um, according to public information, I suppose it's correct, Nike, Nike company, makes shoes and clothes, sports clothes, paid Michael Jordan last year $150 million to wear their clothes. I think I could live off of that. 
<clears throat> one sports player for one year. That's where some of this $900 a person marketing fees goes into. But it's really, really important that Michael Jordan wears something. And he, they even gave him his own brand of Jordan shoes. You can buy Jordan shoes up here, out here in Lebanon for about $140. I think they work. So it's important to have these special names attached to, to objects to uh, make them sell. And the companies are willing to pay tremendous amounts of money for it. <clears throat> now, you probably couldn't get $150 million out of Nike because you know, you're not a, not a famous figure. How many of you remember or know about the phrase, got milk? Um, that's been going for many, many years. Um, I think maybe 20 or 30-ish or something. Um, and it's very, very popular. And they started out putting famous people again on billboards with milk mustaches, probably with smear whipped cream or something on it, uh, or paint, I don't know. I don't think I ever got a milk mustache like that from drinking milk. <clears throat> um, but it became very, very well, well known, the phrase, the got milk. And uh, the Dairy Association of California actually developed it, and they sold the phrase to lots of other organizations throughout the country uh, because it seemed to be such a, such a, a good phrase. Uh, and from what I can find, milk sales didn't actually rise that much. The phrase became very famous, but didn't really persuade people to buy milk. So uh, from what I could read, they actually stopped stopped um, that program. Maybe some of the people who licensed it are still using it. The California Association didn't. But it became very, very wide, widespread, and they're trying to promote milk consumption. So... The marketing stream, the marketing path again. This is available. You need this. You want this. Others have this. Maybe you saw it on Etsy. Somebody else, they did it that way. And it's easy to get now. You can buy now and pay later. You can put it on payments. There's two day shipping. There's, uh, you can just, you can buy it online. You can like about five clicks and you, you got it. You don't have to uh, pack up the children, go shopping, uh, go out in the cold, get in the rain. Uh, you can spend all the money you have just from your uh, laptop or phone. So this is available. You need this. You want this. Others have it. It's easy to get now. This is kind of a human nature procedure, I think. Um, and I want to talk, go over some biblical examples of how this was used. Uh, Satan used it at least twice, I think. Um, the, to Eve and to Jesus. So let's go to Genesis chapter 3 and see Satan's marketing strategy. And there can be other ways to, just, to explain it as well. But uh, I think he follows through with this procedure pretty closely. I'm going to read the first, first six verses of Genesis chapter 3. 
Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord hath, Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman was, when, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And that's the you know, original sin, as we know it. So, Satan comes in the form of the serpent, and he goes down this marketing trail with them. He says, you know, what about the trees? There's trees. What about the trees? I don't know if they thought about the trees or not. And God had seemingly told them, uh, given them some, some instructions about trees. I expect they were ignoring the trees. I'm climbing up and looking around once in a while uh, on, on some of them, e- eating the fruit of, of others. But I don't expect that they were really bothered by the fact that they could not eat at those two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. <clears throat> I mean, we're not given much information about it. I'm kind of just you know, imagining how, how it may be. But Satan came in and says, hey, how about the trees? You know, there's some trees there. You notice those trees? This is available. You know, this is, uh, make, aware, make, us, make these uh, people aware of, this, of the possibilities. And then he says, you need this. Your eyes are closed. You don't know your eyes are closed. Your eyes are closed. He says, your eyes can be opened. So if your eyes can be opened, they must not be opened already, right? Um, there's a lack here. Your eyes can be opened. You have a deficiency of some type. And then he starts giving him reasons why they would want this fruit. So why would I want my eyes opened? I mean, I'm just fine the way I am. Whatever that eyes opened means, I, I, you know, why do I want my eyes opened? And he says, this is why you want your eyes opened. You can know good and evil. You'll be like gods, knowing good and evil. And that's something desirable, obviously, uh, if it's given as the reason why you want to do something. <clears throat> In this marketing strategy. And he goes to the, he includes the others have this. Well, who else is there to have it? God has it. You can be like God. See, God, you know, you like God, don't you? God's special. God comes out and talks with you during the, during the evening. You like God a lot. Oh, God's like this. God has this. And you can be like your friend God. And you can get it easily now. All you have to do is just eat of the fruit. And you can get all this benefit. So this is available. You need this. You want this. Others have it. 
It's easy to get now. And Eve said, okay. You know, should have checked it out first. Should have checked with God first. Because he had, had talked about the trees originally. Uh, assumedly, he told him about the trees. They shouldn't eat of the two. Um, she should have, should have checked with him. But she didn't. She decided to fall into the trap that Satan had laid for them. Go to Matthew 4. Satan comes back again to Jesus. Matthew 4. Just read verses 1 to 11, and then we'll go back and pick out the, the strategy. So after Jesus came, was born in Bethlehem, like we heard, um, he grew up to be about 30 years old and began his, his ministry. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Then was Jesus led up to the, up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And the devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. So let's go back to the, the, uh, temptation, the temptation that came first. So Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, and it says he fasted. And he was hungry. And Satan comes along with an awareness comment. Do you remember bread? Back when you used to eat bread? Like a month or so ago? That crusty, fresh bread Mary used to make? I don't know if Jesus was thinking about bread or not. Or food. Um, yeah, I don't know what his physical condition was. Um, but Satan came and brought awareness of, of, of a need. I, no, we're not given, we're given what, what, what the verses say here. Um, but I'm going to kind of put some thoughts in in their minds and see if uh, maybe flesh it out a bit. So this is available. The next step is you need this. You're starving. You've not eaten for 40 days. You actually do need this. This isn't just a luxury. You're going to die if you don't eat. That's just one of the laws of nature. 
you actually need this. You've got to eat. You want this. You are so hungry. Remember? Bread soaked in honey? How good that was? Sometimes we have that at our house. We may have fresh bread. It's really good. And if Jesus remembered back in his childhood, up through his growing up years, other people have bread. Probably his family has some that very day. Others have it. His family had it. Why couldn't he have some? And it's so easy to get right now. He can make some right now. He made bread later in his life and fish. So Satan comes and says, how about the situation? You notice this? How about bread? This is available. And you need this. You want this. Others can have it. And you can have it yourself. Quickly. You can have it yourself. In verse 5, the devil taketh him up into a, the holy city and, and setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple and says, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. So by the time the, the second temptation comes, he has not done the first one. He did not um, show his power. He did not Prove his divinity. So, this one, I'm going to say, Satan's saying, you know, you can build some credibility here for yourself. Now, are you something or are you not something? <clears throat> you need some credibility. You don't look so great right now. You've been in camping out in the bush for 40 days. Um, there's no showers up there, um, no washstands, and you're hungry. And you expect me to think that you're something special? <clears throat> you want this. You don't look wimpy to your old rival, do you? And others have it. The angels wouldn't mess around. The angels had something that they can do for God, uh, something they can show their power with. They wouldn't mess around. If you jump, they come catch you. Will you jump? It's so easy to do now. Just jump. They'll catch you. Just jump. Did Jesus jump? No, he didn't jump. He just kept looking wimpy because he knew the marketing scheme that the devil was after. The end result. I'm going to turn the page and talk about how God does marketing. It's about the same way. We need to 
we need to be discerning about marketing. Some products are good. Some products are not good. Some products are worth your money. Some are just pretty pretend. You can buy magnet devices to strap onto your water lines at home for all kinds of purposes. <laughs> um, makes your water less hard. It doesn't, though, but that's what it's for. Some marketing is good, some marketing is not. But I think human nature makes marketing, whether it's from the devil's perspective or from God's perspective, um, kind of work the same way. So I want to bring, out, bring that out. God's marketing. So he says to mankind, hey, listen up, look up, this is available. In um, Acts 17, we read uh, Paul's talk to the Athenians on Mars Hill. Acts 17, 22 to 34. Read that. Acts 17. Acts. Twenty-two to thirty-four. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, "Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found the altar, an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands." Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of, made of one blood all nations and men for to dwell on the face, all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitations, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked and others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them, albeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among which was Dionysius and uh, the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So the message that God is bringing to us, uh, Paul says, hey, look, there's a, this is a truth here. I'm, I'm informing you of something. That there is a God, the one you worship by mistake. Um, there is actually a God. This is a, this is a real thing. Uh, the God that you aren't sure about.
So God is giving them the information that they really do, that there really is something to, to take notice about. In John 3, 16, uh, 16 to 18, it talks about uh, how we need, let me say this, let me back up just a bit here. So, the, you need this part. Jesus, God talks about how ye must be born again, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In John three sixteen to 18, it starts out, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. We need this. We need the salvation. Um, God clearly describes how we are lost without the Savior, that we are uh, automatically condemned if uh, we don't believe. And Jesus fills in the you want this part. He says things like, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The verses like, In the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Uh, God gives us examples that others have this. Uh, Hebrews 11, especially, a whole list of, of people, and they're given there for that purpose. The great cloud of witnesses, and we know people in our own lives, <clears throat> our own families, and folks that we, we hear of currently. Uh, what, what others have, you, know, you can have too, peace with God, uh, salvation through Christ, um, being right with God, prepared for eternity. And you can get it now. When Peter was talking to the group that came out to see why they were babbling, after the Pentecost, um, he ends, they say, well, what shall we do? Once he, they understood the situation. And Peter says, repent and be baptized and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Um, you can have it now. Um, in Romans 10, let me turn there, Romans 10, 6 to 13, it describes a little more in detail about how we can get it now. Romans 6, Ten to thirteen. Uh, I got that wrong. Romans ten six to thirteen. My number switched around. Romans ten six to thirteen. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise: Say not in thine hearts, Who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep? that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is, the word of faith which we preach. Let me stop there just a bit. So he's saying, we don't need to go and get Jesus from anywhere else to be saved. He says, there are words in your mouth and in your heart that haven't come out yet that can save you. The words of faith. And then he says what it is. Verse 9, nine verse 8. But what, uh, let's see, verse 8 again. But what saith it? The word is not of thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That 
If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Salvation is right inside of you waiting to come out. It's describing here. Um, that we can, you can have it now. That's why there's, there's never a time when uh, people want to be saved and can't be saved. I think that's correct. You can uh, discuss that later, uh, except at the end at judgment, of course. But once, while, while during life, while there's still opportunity, um, all that the Lord calls what, uh, can can respond. And it's in the word is in your mouth. It's just in there. It's in your heart. The faith is in your heart to to express. It is very near. And whether it's the initial conversion and giving up of ourselves to Christ, or whether it's um, continued day by day surrender to the situations that we we um, come up with that life brings us. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So that is God's marketing uh, program. Uh, when you're marketed to, you develop a desire part down, down through the list after you're made aware of the situation. Uh, and sometimes you really, really want something really badly. Tastes like warm chocolate chip cookies. And you can almost smell them. I mean, you smell chocolate chip cookies. Mm. It's on your head. Marketing is powerful. That's a note. Chocolate chip cookies exist. Marketing is working, isn't it? <laughs> you need treats once in a while. You want some of this, don't you? Right. It's really good. Gooey chocolate chips right in here. Other people have it. 
Other people can enjoy it. It's a, it's a normal thing of life. Why can't you have some? It's easy to get. We could mob the guy, couldn't we? <laughs> you ever wanted something so badly that your chest hurt? Your heart hurt? I have. Not chocolate chip cookies, but other things. <clears throat> the idea of marketing comes to us in, um, in, in various ways. Our own personal desires. Um, outside influences. Sometimes you'd be satisfied with something else besides what you wanted, right? <clears throat> so, um, the marketing process can happen not just when someone's trying to sell you something, um, but in our, in our lives. We are aware of a situation. We, we are aware of, of good, healthy relationships. We are aware of um, the blessings of family, um, the blessings of a good job, um, the blessings of faithful children. Now, lots and lots of things that, that you know, we are aware of. And it can be good things. <clears throat> um, and we, we need good relationships. Uh, we need good families. Uh, we need good jobs to supply you know, our family's needs. We want those kind of things. It could be a convenience. Maybe your dishwasher just doesn't work anymore and it just doesn't suit to get another one, new one right now. There are a lot of, of, of longings and wants from trivial things to life-changing Things like, you know, marriage or relationships or moving away, uh, uh, pursuing a dream of some type that you have. So I want to talk to us a bit about how, to res- how we respond to the longings and desires that come up within our hearts, either from outside influences or from um, just natural desires that God has, has given to us. <clears throat> and the, the procedure goes down about the same trail. That you know, this is a real thing. I need this. It's normal. I want it. Others have it. How can I get it now? We can't all have chocolate chip cookies. You don't. I do.
maybe you have some later. Um, So we think of verses like Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. What is your need? Well, it's not always chocolate chip cookies. And it's not always that relationship we long for. It's not always a better job. Because God doesn't always supply those things. So, assumedly, it must not be the need right now. And then we go toward verses like 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God's able to make all grace abound towards you. That ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Well, at least if I can't have what I want, God will make my efforts. Um, see how it's worded there. He'll make all grace abound toward me that I'll be able to do the good work that God wants me to do. I'll be able to fulfill his purpose on earth. And that's we're getting closer to, the, to a good spot there. Um, sometimes, like Paul, um, God wants us to emit the fragrance of a crushed flower. You know, Paul went through a situation. I think it was very difficult for him. He, he did a lot of miracles in his day. But he, he talks about, uh, in Second Corinthians 12, <clears throat> he talks about um, this thorn in the flesh. And he doesn't describe what it is. Maybe so that we can apply it to anything in our lives. And we don't have to think of just whatever Paul had had in his life. Um, but any, anything negative in our lives that we, that we see as negative. Either something extra we don't want or something missing that we would like. Um, I think can, can apply can apply here. Let me just read those couple of verses there. Second uh, Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. You probably know the story or the account there anyway, but read Second Corinthians twelve verse seven. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'll read verse 10 yet too. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I don't think he thought um, I don't think he thought the um, I 
Yeah, he wasn't, what I mean is, he wasn't resigned to not having this problem taken care of at first. And since he asked God three times about it, this is something that was really, really important to him. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that he might depart from me. And I don't know if God spoke audibly to him, or if it just didn't go away. And so he concluded the, the verses following. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. God's strength in us is made perfect in weakness. And if we can believe that, we can start on practicing the last part of verse 9. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of God may rest upon, rest upon me. It is much more fun to do things because you can than to not be able to do things and deal with it. It's much more fun to be in control of our lives. And, you know, we know we're not in control. We know we can't, we're not promised tomorrow and all that. But it seems kind of like we are, you know, kind of like along the way. We get up in the morning, we may fix our food and, you know, do about our chores. We plan and execute our plans. And, and once in a while something big happens that says, oh no, okay, I have no control at all. And that's not a very fun spot to be in. But according to Paul's experience here, that is the best spot. Something that I've been trying to learn over the years is that it's much more important you know, what I become than what I can do or what I accomplish. Why are you on the earth anyway? Why did God... Why does God have you here? Well, we can say to further his kingdom, sure. How does he know when you're finished furthering his kingdom? I don't know. But I think maybe he's like looking at us like apples on a tree. And once we're ripe, then we get picked. I don't know if that's, that's you know, actually correct or not. But that's how I envision it. So how well you're ripening in that scenario, is really the main point. Not whether I get the cows milked on time or, um, you know, but how it affects me, how my character is changing, uh, is the whole point of living, I think. How, how God is developing his spirit, his spirit in me. And once we're ripe, he'll say, okay, you're heavenly enough, we'll just take you over there and put you in heaven next. Um, possibly it's that way. Uh, this morning I had a opportunity to practice this. Um, I had planned to come early to church this morning, just separately, just drive by myself, and uh, do a bit of preparation here. And I went out of the vehicle, and the vehicle was non-functional. And so... My family hadn't planned to come along. So I went back to the house and said, Family, guess what? We're all going together this morning. 
How many of your families can suddenly just like bump their leaving time 15 minutes or 20 minutes um, at the drop of a hat? Well, ours couldn't this morning. We schedule our days by expectations. Um, so if you're expected to leave by a certain time, we don't normally just get ready half an hour before and just stand around waiting for half an hour. Uh, we schedule our preparations according to what we expect. But I was very blessed by the grace of God that helped me not become frustrated and angry. I guess you can ask my family members if I've felt frustrated and angry. Uh, I, tr- I, I thought I was not being frustrated and angry. Uh, and also for them. So it's not very fun for children, for if you're teenagers, youth people to be hurried up. <laughs> okay? Uh, you're brushing your teeth? Like, just skip the teeth this morning. I can't skip my teeth this morning. There's um, some things in life you just can't hurry up. Um, so it made an interesting situation in our house this morning. And it seemed like my sermon was kind of, the illustration of my sermon here was kind of going south. You know, if I couldn't come and feel prepared. But that wasn't the whole point. The point was, it's more important what happens in my heart than whether I come to church early and feel prepared. So I came to church not feeling prepared. And I I spent some of the time during your singing back in the kitchen um, preparing. (laughs) Okay, So that's one little teeny example. No no health problems, no um, no disastrous situations uh, involved here. One teeny example how it's it's more important for uh, us to allow God to mold us than what we actually have happen to do. Whether your business business succeeds or whether you get to your trip destination on time or uh, what happens in our hearts is really the most important. So I'm not sure if the title encapsulated all that. Marketing and temptations. Um, there are desires that come to us from within or from without, um, and how we deal with them, uh, and the reasons we, we, we come up with reasons of why we think it should be a certain way. Like this morning, I wanted to come to church this morning to prepare. That was my plan. I felt it was really important so that this time goes smoothly. Uh, didn't happen. God wasn't concerned about me coming to church and feeling prepared. You know what? He doesn't care a bit about that. God doesn't care about your comfort. Well, why not? He's nice, isn't he? You know, he cares more about our hearts. And that's, that's, that helps me understand why, why um, the persecution of the church was so so prevalent throughout history and currently in many places of the world. Why does it have to be that way? Why does, why does God allow so many very negative things 
in in people's lives of his children. And there, th- and I think it's 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 more about what happens in our hearts than what we accomplish, what we do, and how we how we uh, uh, what what all we are able to um, feel comfortable about. So I guess the takeaway here is to um, be aware of influences from without or from within, and um, not just go with the flow, but be be careful about what we accept and uh, yeah, of course in the secular market in the marketing world with your stuff, um, but also in the situations that God allows into our lives, um, how we deal with the desires and uh, longings of our heart and allow God to change us from the inside out uh, and learn to be okay with uh, not accomplishing what we want to accomplish, um, knowing that God is more, more concerned about our insides than our outsides. Okay. God bless you.